bless you. If you're able to stand, would you please stand this morning? Let me echo uh, what Brother Bickley has said. We want to welcome all of our guests here today. If you're a guest with us, we welcome you this morning. Praise God. It's great to have back after their summer sabbatical, the Toze family. It's great to have them back with us this morning, worshiping. Amen. And if you're watching us on theantioch.com, we welcome you this morning into our broadcast. Whether it's live or archive, praise God. Amen. I get a chance to flip the script for a moment on, on Brother Grossbach. I, I encourage you. We say this a lot, and we have, we have been blessed with great technology that's available to us for free. I encourage you. If you consider Antioch a, 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 your church, not just a place where you come, but you consider your, yourself, uh, this is your church, I encourage you, take time, go to theantioch.com, click on media or on archive, go back and watch Brother Grossbach from last night. Amen. Amen. I don't say that lightly. We're not making any money off it. We don't sell commercial time. We don't even charge for it. So we're not getting any benefit from it as a church to get you to go watch it. But you're going to get benefited by it. If you consider yourself a part of this church, you need to hear that because uh, it was not only a word from God, but it was a word spoken from a man of God. And that was just absolutely tremendous. So I encourage you to go back and... Uh, Echoing what Brother Grossbach has said, uh, him and his wife have played a, uh, a momentous role in my life. In fact, there's been several key moments of my life. Brother Grossbach has been there, first of all, as he spoke, receiving the Holy Ghost in Africa. He was there. He was there uh, one time when we almost lost, uh, when I almost lost my father. He was there. We were on a safari. Brother Grossbach, you remember this? And I vaguely remember, I was younger, you might remember, and the bishop was trying to get the shot, like he always does. And he had climbed out on the roof of the van, trying to get the perfect National Geographic shot of the elephant. And somehow along the way, we got the elephant upset. And the elephant turned and saw this big American white man on top of a van and decided he didn't like that too much and turned and charged. And I just remember the panic that was in there is the bishops trying to get himself back into this van is we're trying to get that. And, and, uh, you know, it was an, another unique moment, uh, brother Grossbach. I know you'll remember this. I don't remember why you were there, but, uh, yeah, but, the, the day my daughter was born, my oldest daughter, Hope, you were home, and on top of that, you were at the hospital visiting somebody else, and we saw you downstairs, and, uh, and you were able to come up and, and meet our daughter, and that was very unique, especially with the way our paths rarely ever crossed, that in those moments, the stars aligned and you were there. So uh, I am very thankful uh, that... Um, he is here today, and, and uh, I believe that to, he has a word for the Lord for us. And so would you put your hands together and just welcome Brother Grossbach as he comes today. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Great God and Savior. Hallelujah. God bless you. If you love the Lord more than anything, be seated. Praise God. Happy birthday to everybody. Um, Luke chapter 18. I've been uh, reminded more than once of how brief your preachings are here. So uh, we'll try to... Uh, to uh, nobody said anything. I expected a chuckle or, a, or an amen, you know. So I'll try. Luke chapter number 18, and uh, we're going to start with verse number 18. 
Can you hear that when that kicks in? Isn't that neat? There was a certain ruler that asked him, and of course that's Jesus, a certain ruler asked Jesus, saying, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good except one, and that's God. In other words... Are you calling me good because you know who I am? And, and of course, on the other hand, we know that Jesus knows everything, so Jesus already knows that he doesn't know that he's God. So what really, what Jesus is asking is, why are you calling me good? Because you don't know who I really am. Verse number 20, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And the ruler said, All these have I kept from my youth up, which of course is not true. Verse number 22. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How heartily shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? Lord, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to help us right now. Let your word come alive in our hearts and our spirits. Help us to see and to understand what you're trying to say. Help us perceive, Lord, and help us respond. Jesus, in these next few moments, help me and help the hearers in this word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, praise God. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing for so long. Um, There is, there's tremendous power. Let me start with the point, okay? There's tremendous power in the words, I cannot. Tremendous power. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of those preachers. I know it's popular preaching. Um, I don't always agree with all of it, for sure. But I'm not one of those preacher that, preachers that is constantly reminding congregations that there's great power in the mouth, you know, that we have creative power. I don't, I don't know all about all that stuff. And I don't know about, you know, how often you can repeat something until it becomes true. And I don't, you know, but, but I know this. There is tremendous power in the words, I cannot. Let me give you an example. Um, I mentioned last night that the greatest, the greatest burden of a pastor is to see people receive the empowerment and, and, to, and to watch them as they're edified by teaching and given resources to be fruitful, as they are enabled by, by God through, uh, through mentors and shown relevant ministry in the church, as they are entrusted with personal spiritual ministry, and as they are evaluated. That's the process. Those five, those five dynamics need to be happening in every local church everywhere. And there's a, there's, there, there's a tremendous burden by real shepherds of the flock for people to receive those things and grow thereby and become everything that God intended them for be. And, and it's very, very frustrating and heartbreaking. It's a sad, it's a sad thing to watch people and know their potential, and uh, and see it never develop. Um, I wrote a book a long time ago. It sprang out of uh, of, of leadership development we did in, in the Zambian revival days, but it was called Acts 29. I know you're probably not familiar with it. But in one of the very opening chapters of the book, I named the four chief responsibilities of a shepherd, and, and, and they are they're, they're simple, and yet they are so profound that it, it kind of rocks the, the house of pastors when you're teaching this. Because one of them is that you need to know the potential of every saint in your congregation. You need to know the spiritual level of where they are. And you need to be able to recognize the spiritual potential that God has placed in their lives. Now that sounds pretty ambitious. Because if you've got hundreds of people, how can a pastor know that? Well, that's what staff members are for. And all staff members in a a pastoral ministry should have the same burden and the same desire and the same drive and the same passion because they're in the same vision with the, with the senior pastor. But we need, we need good shepherds know the potential in their flock. 
And to see it not ever reached is the, it's the, that's the heart crushing, the, the heart rending times for a pastor. And, and sometimes it's simply because in a false kind of humility, people have said, I can't do this. I can't minister because. And I know it sometimes it comes across, it's supposed to be coming across as humility, when in actual fact, sometimes it's one of the greatest expressions of sinful pride that a human can utter. When God came to the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, and he looked at the multitudes of people surrounding that pool waiting for, quote, the troubling of the water, Jesus picked out, singled out one man and asked him the, the poignant question, will you be made whole? And the man gave Jesus, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the, man, the, the, the very God that, that caused this man to be born years before, he gave him all the reasons why he would never get his, his complete healing. He told God why it could not happen. Jesus healed him anyway. And knew, knowing that later on the same day, he would find the same man in the temple. Worshiping God, perhaps for the first time allowed into the temple because before that healing, he was crippled, he was lame, he was unworthy to go all the way in with the rest of the Jewish males. But this day, Jesus found him in the temple and he said, remember this, go and sin no more because there's a worse thing that will come upon you. What's the worst thing? A worse physical condition? Certainly not. What Jesus was telling the man was, go Live with your wholeness. Become a complete man. Understand who I am. Understand the plan of God for your life. Because if you don't do that, you'll end up in the ultimate terrible condition of living and dying without God's fullness. So being whole is a huge thing. And telling God that you can't be made whole is a horrible thing. There's power in the words, I cannot. I... I... When, when Joel was talking about the, the, uh, the, the enormous and profound move of God, um, in last night's service, I turned to Brother Whaley and I said, I, I, I said it was, it was a remarkable service for me because I know without a shadow, without any doubt, none of that had anything to do with me. Not one, not one sentence. It was a total God thing and a total God moment. When the bell went off at 2.20, when I read for the very first time and understood and saw for the very first time the connection between the 45 years of Caleb's promise and the 45 years of Antioch's existence, it knocked me down like it knocked some of you down. That was a God thing. And to not receive that because somebody is stuck in the I cannots would be the worst tragedy this church could ever know. Now listen, let me tell you something. Let me just tell you, and I got to do this quick. Just help me, Jesus. I was, my wife and I were members of Antioch for only six years, and then we went overseas. I know it was the fast track. I don't understand it all. And, but I'll tell you something that I knew early on in those six years, and then we explored this, and, and we cultivated this, and we surrendered to this, and we submitted to this thing. I recognize, I guess a little bit, not, not in the, not in the magnitude of Caleb's revelation, but I recognized a little bit like Caleb that there was a promise before us and that we had to seize that promise for ourselves. That everything in this church uh, context was pointing us in the right direction, but they could not make it happen for us. There is a tremendous, I mean, help me here. There's a tremendous teaching ministry in this church, right or wrong. I mean, don't take that for granted. It's it's a tremendous teaching ministry from the bishop right on down to the home group leaders. You're getting a regular diet of great teaching, pulpit-style teaching. You're being taught everything. There's all kinds of specialized classes. I mean, I, I congratulate David Wright. I didn't say anything about David last night, and I regret that terribly. That was the Grossbach part of it, because I'm the part that I omitted. I wanted to talk about David's great ministry here, and I didn't do it. And, I, and tell him, I'm sorry for me, will you? I'll tell him too. 
Well, what a teaching opportunity. I mean, anything, I mean, for, for couples and for youth and for, for seniors and for marrieds and unmarrieds and, and all, I mean, for new converts, there's all kinds of teaching ministry, but it doesn't guarantee the teaching ministry from here, from the microphone to your ears and your heart doesn't guarantee that it ever makes an impact in your spiritual walk with God. It's got to start with you recognizing the promise as it's presented to you in the context of this church's vision. Is that too complicated? Your connection to that and you saying, I see that and I recognize that as for me and I'm going to grasp that like a mad, vicious dog and never turn it loose. That connection has to be made. And when we say, I cannot, it's all lost. And if there's enough individuals of us that lose that, the corporate sense begins to diminish. The corporate reception, the the, the body reception of this vision and its implementation begins to wane when enough individuals say, I can't and I'm not part of this. And it's not humility that's saying that most of the time. Sometimes it is. Sometimes people come in there, they're shy, they're humble. They, they, they feel like they've done nothing in the natural life. So what can they do in the spiritual life? But if you continue to see the empowerment given and do nothing with it, the I cannot no longer is humble, is pride. I'm here, I'm where I am, and I'm going to stay where I am, contrary to the will of God. That's not humility. There's a scripture that God reminded me of this morning while we were worshiping and I I flipped over there and was reading it up and down as much as I could because I wanted to be sure of this. You know, there's this, there's this scripture in James chapter four where he says, resist the devil and he will flee. Have you ever taken notice of how much, how much energy is expended in Pentecostal churches in resisting the devil? I'm spitting all over the place. Right on the internet and everything. There's a lot of energy that's expended on resisting the devil. There's whole services that are giving to resisting the devil. There are ministries that are based on resisting the devil. You know, we in, in the Congo, we live catty corner from a house church, and every Friday at 4 o'clock, they delivered each other. Every, four, every Friday at 4, you could have set your clock by their deliverance services. They were rebuking devils out of each other every Friday at 4. It was a big deal. It was a regular thing. And, uh, you know, I mean, and then I finally realized after months and months of this that, you know, these weren't new people that wandered in off the streets. And they're, they're delivering each other over and over again. It's like they're, they focused on resisting the devil. That's nice. And you can preach about it and teach about it. And you can talk about the power of the name of Jesus and breaking every chain, breaking every chain, breaking every chain. And, and some chains never get broken because what? The person never makes the connection. See, that's just, that's the second half of the verse. The verse doesn't start with resist the devil and he'll flee. The verse says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. The way that you ultimately resist the devil is by submitting yourselves to God. And when you cannot do that, the whole house of cards starts to fall. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh unto you. He says he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Back to Luke 18. So this guy comes to Jesus. And he asks him the question because he wants an answer. He wants a specific answer from this great teacher. And he says, what should I do? I want you, and basically what I want you to do is to tell me and all the, all the hearers around me that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a shoe in for eternal life. So Jesus starts with the obvious. Uh, and this is huge. This is, this is a key to apostolic living. This is a key to Christianity. Jesus starts with the basics. He goes to the Old Covenant. He goes to the Old Covenant. And he starts quoting sections from the law of Moses. And he says, you know, do these things. And the proper response should have been what? I've disobeyed those, Lord. I haven't always honored my father and my mom. Not every, not 100%. I love my dad and my mom, but, you know, I mean, I, I withstood my dad when, when I was wrong and he was right. I rebelled when I was eight years old or whatever it is. Nobody's perfect. You know, do not steal. That's fine. Do not commit it. Do not false. I mean, how many times had this guy broken this code of conduct? 
that the Jews had learned now to, to, to treat as some kind of a substantiator of their righteousness. When in fact the law, Romans chapter 3, the purpose of the law was to stop every mouth and that everyone would become guilty before God. So that they would what? So that they would repent. So that they would throw themselves at the feet of a Savior and say, I cannot save myself. See, here's what Jesus was doing. Here's where he was taking this man. He was taking him to a place where he would have to say the other side of the powerful phrase, I cannot. Can you save yourself? No, I can't. But all he didn't want to hear that from Jesus. What he wanted to hear was, you're already in, pal. The common belief to the Israelites in this day and age, the common belief was that the richer you were, the more blessed you were by God. And there couldn't be anything further from the truth because the more we're tempted with, the harder it is to live for God. You know, people ask about the African revival. Well, life in for a lot of Africans, even though it's changed so much over the last 30 years since, since we first got there, but, you know, for, for a guy in the village, there's poverty and there's sickness and there's hardship and there's, you know, you don't live, you don't think, you don't think about retirement. You think about feeding yourself today. You think about feeding your children today. And then there's this hope of heaven that comes down the pike. There's somebody that preaches to you about the powerful name of Jesus and the promises on their other, other side. And it's not so hard to grasp on to a hope like that. But when life is so good like it is in the U.S. of A., it's not easy to keep it all prioritized correctly. So it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the I cannot changes to I can. I know that I'm good. I know that I'm right. I know that I'm blessed. And that's the way it was in Jerusalem. The more you had, the more obviously it was God's sign of blessing and favor upon you. That's why the disciples were shocked at the end of this passage when they said, well, then who can be saved if this guy goes away sorrowful? then who can be saved? Because we have much less than he. Therefore, we're much less blessed by God and we have much less opportunity from God. But there's power in the words, I cannot. Jesus was trying to lead this man to that place where he would have to admit that without you, Lord, I can do nothing. But he wouldn't go there. All these have I kept from my youth up. So Jesus says, okay, we'll keep going until you can't. I'll take you to a place of I cannot. Doesn't matter who you are or where you live. Doesn't matter how much you've got or how much you lack. Doesn't matter how you consider yourself or how you look at yourself, how you dress. Doesn't matter your level of education, what race, creed, culture, or background or tradition you're part of. I will take you to a place where you've got to stand up and be given the chance of saying, I can't do this, Jesus. I need your help. So here's what I want you to do, pal. I want you to go home and take everything you've got and put it up for sale. Then take all the proceeds from that sale and distribute it to the poor. And then I want you to come back and I want you to follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. And Grossbox version says, and he couldn't say, I can't. He simply said, I won't. So Jesus said, you know, it's hard for them that have riches. And let's, 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 let's interpret that. How hard is it that they that think they've got it all to enter into the kingdom? You know, there's power in, in, in truly understanding our limitations. Salvation and usefulness in the kingdom of God doesn't always hinge upon what we have. More frequently, it hinges around what we realize we don't have. Anointing, for example, you know, finding God's power and God's grace to carry out His mission is, you know, it's not there, it's not there to elevate us. It's there to, 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 to send us into the harvest with, with real spiritual ministry. That's all it is. Anointing, you know, we, we look at people as if they're, they have this special anointing on them and therefore they are somehow more elevated than we are. That's nonsense. That's not God. That's not the Spirit of Christ. That's not the humble Savior that gave Himself for all of us. That's not the Apostle Paul who goes to God and, and, and suffers everything that he did in order to be the Apostle that he became. 
It's not, it's not Paul going to God and saying, Lord, I've had this, this pain, this, this thorn in my side. I've had this thing that you will not heal me of. Lord, I've prayed for everybody. I've wheeled on people. I've called them out. I've rebuked demons. I've, I've been raised from the dead myself. I've seen masses healed, but now I've come to you with this thorn in my flesh three times and you won't do anything. And God says, my grace is enough for you, Paul. Just live with it. I'm keeping you humble. And Paul was the kind of guy that said, you know what? I'm not strong until I really focus on my weaknesses. I can't be used until I know what I can't do. So I cannot becomes a powerful statement. Strength and weakness, that's a huge thing. But you know what? Unlike Paul, unlike Paul, many people never recognize their weaknesses as a gateway to his power. Unlike Paul, many people are unable to envision themselves as God's tools in the harvest. Many people cannot interpret the biblical formula of real anointing based on God and not on individual talent. I told Brother Reaver something last night. I've been to his, Pat and I have went to his church one time on deputation several years ago. He hadn't been in Baltimore, I don't think, all that long. We were very impressed with the way that he pastored, with what we saw. And I told him last night, I said, Brother Reaver, I remember something about that service. And I've used this over and over in teaching pastors and, and how to work with ministers in their church and, uh, you know, ministries in their church. I, because in that service, at the end of it, there was an altar call and everybody came to the, everybody came to the altar. Everybody came, except the piano player who felt, you know, I mean, I, I'm supposed to be playing a nice tune while they're praying. I need to be playing. And I'll never forget what Pastor Reaver did. He looked up and he said, Brother Joe or Tom or Mike, whoever you are, he said, he said these words, I know you'd rather be down here praying with us. So I'm releasing you from your keyboard tonight. Now that may, that may not have been totally genuine because really what he was doing was saying, you need to get off that piano and you need to join us down here, but I'm going to make it real sweet. I know you'd rather be down here. People, you know, I've, I've seen, I don't know, and it's not just American thing because it happens in Africa too, but musicians fail often. Why? They mistake their talent for an anointing to serve. They do play instead of pray. It's too easy to substitute this thing that we can do publicly for a real private relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They stop saying, I can't do this, Lord, and it's only by your strength and power that I can do this. Unlike Paul, People mistake their lack of ability with a simple availability. And unlike Paul, they remain locked in their present level of a compromised ministry. Psalm 103 tells us that God knows our frame and he always remembers that we are what? Dust. But he also knows what we can become unless we stop him from making us that. God will take every single one of us to the place of I cannot Note Jesus' words to the young man at the end. The very last thing that he told him was this. I want you to go. I want you to sell. I want you to give it away. I want you to come back. And I want you to follow. I want you to go, sell, give it away, then come back and follow. You know what that is? That's a formula for genuine, apostolic, spiritual repentance and the beginning of true spiritual empowerment. Go sell it. Get rid of everything that could possibly encumber your walk with God. Give it away. If not physically, then mentally and spiritually. Acknowledge that it doesn't belong to you anyway. I have always wanted to be in a church and pull the greatest trick of all. I've always wanted to go into a local church and take up the offering and have the power to do it any way I wanted to because here's what I would do. I'd say, good morning, church. Isn't it a lovely morning? We're going to get ready to receive our offering, but we're going to do it differently this time. Today, I want you to be able to circulate in the congregation and go into anybody's pocketbook you want to and give accordingly. And I promise two things would happen. Number one, the amount of the offering would skyrocket. Why? Because of Revelation number two. It's a lot easier to give what doesn't belong to you.
Let me read you a scripture. Let me read you a scripture that is probably had has more meat in it than than 90% of, of other verses that we read regularly. This is one that we, I, we probably overlook. I don't know the last time you read 2 Corinthians 9, 8, but let, let me read this to you. God is able to make, listen to the alls and the completeness of this. God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. Now, I'm not a guy that pulls scriptures out of context. I try very, I try my level best not to pull scriptures out of context. I try not to claim promises that were never meant to me from the scripture. I don't just flip open to Isaiah chapter so-and-so and then claim that for my day. I don't live like that. I've learned that life is a lot tougher than sometimes Pentecostals make it out to be. The reality of living for God, the nuts and bolts of this stuff, is serious business, and you've got to humble yourself regularly. But I know this. I know this. That scripture pertains to me. It's not just for the Corinthian church. It's for everybody. This is a principle that the Apostle Paul recognized and that he taught everywhere that he went. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. In other words, whatever God's called you and asked you to do, His grace is sufficient to see you through it. Last night I talked about, you know, last night's was message was for those who stayed. Let me go back to those who went again, like Brother Hemus did on Thursday. I went through that thing. I, I saw, I mean, we went, and we went in the power of I cannot. I went from a I went from an Antioch who used to come up right here on the I used to go to Windsor Avenue when we still owned the building. I'd go there early in the morning. I I I, I, mean, I had to be on a construction job at seven we didn't have a car. I used to go out and, and sit by the, the side of Richie, uh, of, of Route 50 for the, my boss to come by in an, in an electric company van and pick me up and take me to work. I used to walk two miles from our apartment to Route 50 and sit there early in the morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning. I'd leave at 5 or something to walk up there. And I'd pray. I'd pray. Oh, I used to, and I used to have this conviction about, you know, men praying with their head covered. And there I was, it was in the wintertime, and I had this hoodie on, and I always had to take my hoodie off when I prayed. So I'd pray a little bit without my hoodie, then put it on and, you know, try to stay warm. I mean, I prayed, and I, I used to go to Windsor Avenue. I'd come home after work, and I'd go to Windsor Avenue, and I'd pray before supper time if I had chance, and I'd pray, and I would beg God. I spent more times up here on the hill begging God to make me a missionary. God, send us. And we went, went for like, for months like that. I didn't know what we were going to do. I picked up a, 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 an ACE Pace. You remember the ACE Pace books? I picked up Spanish 101 or whatever it was. And I, you know, I, you know, Jesus, you know, El dijo, yo estoy el camino, la verdad y la vida. And I, I remember, you know, San Juan Catorce Seis. And I was, I thought, well, I'm going to go to a Spanish country, so let me learn Spanish. Beg God, Lord, I don't know where you're sending us, but send us, do this thing. And then it transitioned, and all of a sudden, when it became a real reality, I would come up here and lie on my face and say, God, I can't do this. I, I know I beg you, but I don't know how to do this, and now you're about to send us, and I, what, what, what's going to happen when we get, get over there? Went from being a staff member here to the national superintendent of United Pentecostal Church in Malawi. I was 31 years old. I went over there. There were, there were lots of pastors way older than I was. I was the president of the national board with pastors older than I was. Troubles on every side. People that were carnal as the, as the day is long. People that were resisting the will of God. And how do you turn this thing around? And I just go back to God and say, Lord, you're the same God that you were at Antioch. And I can't do this. And in every, in every case, God intervened and showed me. This isn't your work. It's my work. You keep telling me you cannot. You keep recognizing your, your individual strengths and weaknesses and we'll get along fine. So here's the formula. Go and give it all up. Give it all up to God. 
You don't have to give it all in the offering plate unless God tells you to. But go and give it all up to God and, and acknowledge that it doesn't belong to you anyway. It's just, it's, just, it's just lent to you for a purpose. Give it all away and then come back and follow me where I take you. That's real repentance. And I pray this morning with you, and I want you to pray and ask God. I want to challenge you to, to do this. Not in a shouting service, but take the cap off. Take the cap off of the jar of your potential this morning in the next couple of minutes when we pray. Just take the jar off and say, God, I don't know the end from the beginning, but you do. God, I'm not the the author and finisher of my faith, but you are. God, I don't know how you want to use me, but you do. God, I never saw you calling me out of the world like you did, but you did. God, I don't know how to save myself. I don't know how to keep myself. I don't know how to protect myself. I don't know how to, I can't tell you about tomorrow. I can't tell you about next week, but you're already there. And you know, you know what you want to do with me. And you love me just as much as anybody that you've ever made. I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter how hard your father treated you or mistreated you. It doesn't really, in these, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't really matter because God loves you more than anything. God will do anything for you to save you and to keep you and to make you what He wants you to be. So that you can, in, in the same breath, you can say, I cannot, but because of you, Lord, I will. So what's he challenged you to do lately? What's he challenged you to do lately when you told him that you can't? That's pride and you need to repent. And I'm asking you to stand with me right now and sell everything that you've got and give it away. And then come back to him and follow him in his will. Praise God. Can we pray? Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, we're lost and undone without you. We are in desperate need of the power and presence of your Spirit every single moment of every single day. Help us, God. Help this church realize its potential. Lord, I want to pray right now for the, for the, for the, the, the congregation here on the hill. God, I used to pray on the same hill. I pray for this congregation. I pray that it shines for you. I pray that it becomes the model that you want to set before this entire apostolic work. And they can look on this hill and they can see exactly how your hand wants to work in every other congregation. But God, I know this. I know it starts with one soul saying, Lord, I can't. But by your grace, I most certainly will. I'll never tell you no, Jesus. I'll never tell you no. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Pray. Somebody needs to repent because somebody's told him no. Somebody's told him I won't. Somebody's wrongfully said I can't when in fact by his power and grace you indeed can. Praise God. If you're here and you don't know the Lord in the depth of His Spirit, I invite you to this altar. Help us to pray with you. Give us the opportunity to pray with you. Give us a a chance to mentor you and to put an arm around your shoulder and and show you the steps that we've taken as God's propelled us on on our journey because He's got a journey for you. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise God. Jesus told his disciples one time on a day where he was so tired of ministry, so physically worn down by all of his efforts in saving this this Israel. He told them, let's get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake. They got in the boat, 
He went to the back. He fell asleep. They hit a storm like no other storm. At least seven of these men were experienced fishermen on the very same lake. It got so bad, water coming in the boat. While they were trying to bail it out, Jesus is still miraculously asleep. They woke him up and they said this, Master, we're perishing. We're in the midst of dying right now. We can't make it to the other side. Jesus stood up in the boat. He rebuked the wind and the waves. They made it to the other side. And he looked at them and said, where's your faith? He wasn't telling them that they should have stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves. He was simply telling them, you should have remembered the first thing I told you. Let's get into the boat and let's go to the other side. And when I said, let's go to the other side, the boat's going to make it. God caused you to be born into this world. And he'll go all the way with you to the other side if you'll simply stay in his boat. That's what Paul understood when God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. What I've chosen and what I've given you, what I've empowered you with is sufficient to fulfill your calling and your ministry. Now help us, Jesus, I pray. Help this church. Help Antioch become all it should be. And where does it start? It starts with individuals that respond to his calling. Praise God. In the name of Jesus, one more time, let's pray. Lord, help me. Praise God. In the name of Jesus, Father, we need a fresh spirit of humility sweep through this place. I loosen this place a fresh spirit of humility, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, 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 Salaboshatala Bahataya. He cut Horoboria Tayala la la Mandaria Tala la Roboco Satala la Bahaya. Halala Moromaco Satala la Roboco Tayataya de Deva. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, some of you came in here today looking for an answer. And you can dismiss this and say, well, that's not really, that's not really what I needed to hear, but it's exactly what you needed to hear because you're looking for an answer for your situation, but God has put you in that situation to bring you to a point where you can say what the man of God said, to bring you to the point where you say, God, without you, I can truly do nothing. And he will keep you in that situation and in that circumstances until you become to the place where that becomes not just what you say, but what you do and believe. Come on, we need to pray again. Come on. Some of you need to acknowledge in your own life this morning that this was for you. Not for my brother, not for my sister, not for my neighbor, not for the person in front of me, not for behind me. But it is a personal word for me. I needed to hear this. I needed to hear this. He read it. God gives. He resisted the proud, but give it grace to the humble. Come on, let's just take a moment right now. Say, God, I need a fresh spirit of humility in my life, Lord. I need a fresh spirit of humility in my own life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, in the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, this weekend has been, it has been about the individual, but also we have taken this, this weekend and we have spoken about Antioch in its, in its entirety. And if the bishop is watching, which usually he does on Sunday mornings, he can correct this if I'm out of line, but feel as, 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 as Brother Grossbach was speaking, I feel like us as a church, I am so thankful. You look around and, boy, this, it really is. This is, this, I, I travel around a lot. We have a beautiful auditorium. It's not the best, but it's the best we've ever had. 
And we have, this church has has become so blessed in so many ways. And we have now a lot of things that are going for us. We have a great, great system in place. But sometimes we can look at the beautiful building. We look, we can look at the structure. I'm not talking about the structure of the building, but the structure of Antioch itself. And we can become reliant upon those things to produce growth. We can say, well, you know what? Come to our church because look what our church looks like. Come to our church. It's nice. And, and I, I got to admit to you, I'm going to be very transparent. It bothers me sometimes to drive up here. Sometimes you come in the back entrance, that ugly slab sitting there. We got a fence up. It's kind of shaggy on the outside a little bit. And we're trying at the point, why spend money when we're going to tear it down? And, but this, it's the point where, it, you know, let's be honest, it, it, it's, a little, it's a little rough around the edges. And sometimes it's bothering me to drive up here going, man, you know what? If we could just do that and do this and clean all this up and do all that, man, make it real nice. When people drive by, they'd see and go, wow, wow, it's so beautiful up there. I got... But you know what that is? It's pride. It's pride cloaked in humility. <laughs> to say, you know what, we're trying to do this so we can grow, so we make the happen. You know what? I believe there's going to be a day where you're going to drive by here, and, 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 and man, the, the building's going to be like 747 feet tall. I mean, with this building that they're building, and they got to put a blinking light up there. It's going to be so tall. There's going to be a day where you're going to drive by, and you're going to look and go, my goodness, that thing. I mean, it's like driving down on the Beltway in D.C. When you go around the Beltway and you see the Mormon temple, you're not even a Mormon, but you're impressed. I believe there's going to be a day you drive by, and you're going to see this building, and you're going to go, wow. I mean, that church must have something going on. Look at that. But I wonder, folks, if God isn't going to give that to us until we get back to the point. Because you know what? This church was birthed with concrete floors and air conditioners that were, if you're hot, we're going to open the garage door. This church was birthed in warehouses and in, and, and in places that, you know what? It wasn't St. Mary's in Annapolis. But that's where it was birthed. And because of the facility and lack thereof and having to, I mean, you hear the war stories. And, 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 and you know, we, we set up and we broke down 742 days a week. And we set up and we broke down and we set up and broke down. And we had chairs. And, we had, and all these great war stories. of. But you know what it produced? It produced the desperation that they couldn't rely on anything else except God. And I'm afraid a little bit, we have gotten a little comfortable as a church to rely on our technology and our screens and our lights and our beautiful sanctuary and this and that and our, and our 700 congregations and all this going to, and thinking somehow that's going to produce it when the fact is we were birthed in the fire. We can't live in the smoke. And we as a church, and I can't speak of all Antioch, and it's not my, my job to speak for all Antioch, so I can only speak for this congregation. We need to get back to the point, if we've got to take all the chairs out of here and rip the, and rip the carpet up and get some spray powder and make the walls look ugly so that we get to the point where we realize, you know what, if we don't have a move of God and we don't pray and we don't get here, people, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit... If there doesn't become a fresh desperation to say, God, we can't grow this thing unless you do it. It doesn't matter how nice it is. It doesn't matter. We have all the lights and all the cameras and all the action we need. If you don't move, we can't do it. Because ultimately, God forbid if someone shows up and likes it for what it is. And this is beautiful. And that's why I want to come to church because you got nice uh, chairs and you got beautiful. God forbid we got the name up there for a reason. That's because this was built upon the name and it must stay built upon the name 
I'm not trying to preach the message today. I'm trying to take out of my heart. I'm thankful. We've got the best facility of all the congregations in all Antioch. But God, sometimes don't let this become the ball and chain that we drag along and say, well, look, look at all we got. But God, let there be a fresh hunger that rises in every individual in this room that says, God, without you, we can't do it. That each one of you, I say this, and I, I, I'll stop. I just gotta, I gotta say what I feel, and I'll stop. I'm not just trying to add on. But what did they? What did David do wrong with the ark? I preached about it months ago. What did he do wrong? He built a man-made structure to carry the ark, and the presence of God was dependent. In moving upon something a man had built and upon the work of a man-made deal. When the presence of God was meant to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. Who's the priest? Where the priest stood in the New Testament. The presence of God is not meant to be carried upon the structure of a cart. Or the structure of a cart. The presence of God is meant to be carried upon your shoulder. Not shoulder. You sit there and go, well, you're the one that's paid to do this. You do a no, no, no. When you come in here, when you, I don't care. We might do this one Sunday. I don't know where I can get them. Brother Willie can help me find it. I may go somewhere and buy a bunch of long sticks. And when you come in that door, I'm going to hand you a stick and you're going to put it on your shoulder to represent when you come in here, it's your responsibility and my responsibility and their responsibility and all our responsibility to get a hold of of the wood and put the presence of God on our shoulder that we can carry the presence of God. Because if we can get God in here, there's nothing that's impossible. There's nothing that's impossible. And you know what? You get God in here, it doesn't matter what if you have lights or no lights. It doesn't matter if you have fans or no fans. You get God anywhere. People lose sight of what's there because they feel praise God. Would you stand one more time? Let's thank the Lord. Can we do that for what he has spoken in this place today? Can you do that? Can you thank him for your own life? Say, God, thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for challenging me. Thank you, Jesus, for a fresh reminder of what this is all about, that without you, we can do nothing. God, I pray that we would leave here today, leave in the spirit of humility in the name of Jesus. And Lord, those of us that are here today that are resisting, resisting the breaking, I pray, God, that you keep us in the situation we're in until the work is complete. Even though sometimes, God, we don't understand it, even though at times it's frustrating, even though at times, Lord, that we'd rather be in an, in, we'd rather for it to be all over. God, I'm praying, Lord, keep working on us until the work is complete that we can humble ourselves and say, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak these things. In Jesus' name. Let's put our hands together and and give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time. Praise God. Praise God. Brother Grossbach, thank you once again for telling us what we need to hear. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen.